all of my beautiful, intelligent, wonderful friends, my Muscle Maven Radio community. Thanks for joining me as always. I'm your host, Ashley Van Houten. I have a fantastic guest today whom I know you know and will recognize. Um, She's been a guest before and we've done a lot of work together. Uh, Her name is Dr. Gabrielle Lyon. She is my doctor. She is a muscle-centric medicine a functional physician. She coined that term um, based on her focus on muscle as the organ of longevity in our bodies and the importance of muscle, not just for looking good and being strong, but for longevity and disease prevention as well. So she dives deep on things like nutrition and protein requirements, um, as well as sort of fitness, exercise, lifestyle requirements. We talk about how Protein is important, but protein is important for reasons other than what we normally think of, like get your grams in so you can you can be buff. It's about amino acids, which are the building blocks of our bodies, um, and how crucial it is to get the right amount and the right types. Um, so we talk about that. We talk about uh, things like the sort of I guess, gendered issue where it's a lot tougher sometimes for women who are coming from maybe a restrictive or um, more an approach that's more about like less food and and being smaller, trying to convince them to eat more protein can be tough. So we kind of talk about those specific challenges. We talk about hedonic eating versus eating for nourishment, which I know is something that most of you listening can probably relate to. I can definitely relate to it, especially during... COVID hedonic eating has been sometimes, sometimes you feel like it's, it's survival eating because <laughs> it's like a mental health thing. It's sort of problematic, but you can't help yourself from doing it as well. So I'm sure you guys can, can understand where I'm coming from with that. We talk about keto and how it may not be the panacea that everyone thinks it is, especially for women. We talk about fasting, all of this good stuff. Now, this was actually something that Gabrielle and I recorded early on in quarantine, which now is probably about 10 years ago. I don't know, whenever this whole mess started uh, for another workshop that I had done, but I thought it was so good and so full of of useful information that I wanted to share it with everybody uh, again. So you might hear us talking about how it's sort of early on in in quarantine. Um, Also, one thing that I wanted to mention is Gabrielle and I did do a workshop uh, later in the summer. Um, that was focusing on this very topic, this muscle-centric medicine, uh, the fitness aspect, the nutrition aspect, the mindset aspect, just sort of optimizing your life and your health. And it was so fun, and I think it was so well-received that we decided to package all of those materials from that three-week workshop and put it together um, for sort of self-directed learning for anyone who didn't do the workshop but still wanted the materials, the learning experience. So we've put that all together and um, put it on some online software where you can essentially purchase it, download it, use it for your own benefit at your own time, read and go through it um, on your own time. And so it's about eight hours of video Um sort of lecture, workshop sort of uh, information between Gabrielle and myself, as well as a host of other awesome experts and and thought leaders um, that came on and talked with us during the workshop. There's a ton of resources that Gabrielle put together in PowerPoint form going through what muscle-centric medicine is, um, a deep dive on nutrition and protein requirements, uh, tons of information there. We have a muscle-centric medicine ebook that our good friend and recipe developer, Beth Lipton, put together just for the workshop. So you can access all of this. Uh, We're only putting it up for a limited time because we're kind of just trying to see how interested people are in that 
self-directed learning kind of uh, platform. So um, the link will be in the show notes. It'll be in uh, my bio on social media as well as Gabrielle's. We're going to be posting about it all the time. But um, if you want to get on that and learn um, from one of the best functional medicine physicians on the planet, uh, time is limited. So get on that, get all that information at a really, really, really cheap price. Um, and that's that. So I hope you enjoy this episode. It is brought to you by our workshop, as well as my book, It Takes Guts, available now. By the time this episode comes out, actually, it'll almost be in stores. Not quite. Still pre-order time. Um, but pre-order is important, too. And uh, it means a lot to me if you'd support me and, and get a copy for yourself, for the hunter in your life, for the adventurous eater, carnivore, paleo person in your world. It would make a great gift. And, you know, coming up to Thanksgiving time, there's actually some recipes in this book. Look, it's not all just scary scary brain recipes. Okay. I've got some roast heart that would be delicious, uh, stuffed roast heart that would be delicious for Thanksgiving. Lots of desserts, lots of side dishes, lots of fantastic recipes in there that anyone really would enjoy once you kind of get over your fears and give it a shot. It Takes Guts, available now on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Chapters, wherever check the link in uh, the show notes and get yourself a copy. Um, and that's it. I'll stop rambling. Gabrielle's the best. Here she is talking about protein and food and health and muscles, all the important things in life. Enjoy the episode. And we are live. Woo, it worked. All right. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, thank you for taking time on this uh, holiday Saturday, although does time matter anymore? Anything for you, of course. Wait, can we just have a little quick Aries? Yeah, Aries. Uh, maybe she needs a bottle. She's wearing a blondie t-shirt and uh, you know, like an old blondie t-shirt and some fake me out camos. Her fashion is always way better than mine, and <laughs> mine too. It's fine. it's fine. I have accepted it. Cutest baby in the world. Okay, maybe she'll come say hi. Yes, um, possibly. But so anyway, I just wanted to thank you so much, honestly, for taking this time. I know you're always super accommodating whenever I ask you to do these things, but um, I really appreciate it because this is a really unique situation that we're in right now. We've got this group, um, this self-selected group of about 100, a little bit over 100, I think, women who are all hanging out together in this community to learn and uh, share with each other and try to just figure out some things during this stressful time. So. Yeah. Um, it's a really, really enthusiastic group of women, which I'm very excited about. We've been like just going crazy on the Facebook page. Um, and they're very excited to have you because this week we're talking nutrition specifically. That's our focus this week is nutrition. Great. And one of the things that I like to talk about a lot is protein, um, especially for women who are looking at body composition goals, performance goals, muscle building, overall strength and sort of robust uh, life, right? So, and I think that it is a uniquely difficult um, conversation sometimes for women, the conversation around protein. So um, before we, before I ask you any questions, before we take amazing questions from the listener, can you just kind of give us for anybody who doesn't know already, just sort of like the elevator pitch about like what, what you do and, and what's important to you um, from a physician standpoint? Yes. So, I'm the physician that the other physician sees. I'm the physician that the special operations, my husband is a Navy SEAL, high performance CEOs, Mavericks, that's my patient group. And um, I practice this concept called muscle-centric medicine. And it's the concept that muscle is the organ of longevity. 
And what that means is that, you know, for example, you have a cardiologist that deals with your heart, you have an endocrinologist that deals with your thyroid, but actually muscle is the most important metabolic organ. And, you know, I could tell you a little bit more about the practice. It's steeped in nutrition. I did seven years, two residencies and a fellowship. But the bottom line is what I can offer you guys is a way to clear the confusion, give you some nutrition truths and move you from a state of confusion to a state of clarity. And why that's so important is for execution. Mm -hmm. And that's really where I can serve you guys in terms of clearing things up. And by the way, just saying, one of the things that I specialize in in my practice is weight management, optimizing body composition. Okay. And I think that's a that's a pretty strong goal for a lot of the women in the group, whether it's just losing fat, whether it's building muscle, which of course is my favorite topic, um, and just sort of getting their head around protein requirements and how to do that. Um, can you talk a little bit more about, we're saying that muscle is this really crucial organ for like metabolism everything. Right? Yes. for everything right. I so I've heard the I've heard this like throughout life that like the more muscle you have the more calories you're going to burn at rest and the more sort of just efficiently your body kind of works in that way in terms of burning muscle and and just being an efficient fat burner yeah. but does it how much of a difference does that make because I've also heard on the other end that it's like dude you know if you have five pounds of extra muscle you're burning like two more calories that doesn't matter so talk to me about that right. so it actually makes a difference for everything it not only is your anchor as it relates to body composition and when we think about your anchor for body composition what does that even mean it means it's largely responsible for your resting metabolic rate which is Ashley pointed out it's the energy that you burn at rest just like allowing with your baby or hanging out it's it's how much you can actually eat at rest yeah. um you know like cho keto chocolates and whatever uh it is not that i know that ashley likes that stuff um remind me at the end to tell me to tell you what you brought me for when i was breastfeeding and just had a baby anyway it was uh, <laughs> yeah which we still get now because she ain't got a taste anyway um so body composition resting metabolic rate it also is really your regulator for how much glucose, how much carbohydrates that you can manage on any given time. It is one of the largest sites for fatty acid oxidation. And really, as uh, women are aging, as our hormonal milieu changes, as our estrogen decreases, one of the things that happens that we see a lot is that triglycerides go up. There's... Um, you know, you see an increase in cholesterol and muscle is one of the largest sites for fatty acid oxidation. So just in, a, in and of itself, when we think about body composition, you think about resting metabolic rate, you think about glucose disposal, you think about um, fatty acid oxidation, and really importantly now, it is your amino acid reservoir. So if any one of you were to get sick, muscle is what's going to save you. That is where you're going to pull from your energy. You know, we've all seen individuals, and especially now with COVID, um, those individuals that go in the hospital with low muscle mass are at a much higher mortality rate hmm. to the and, inability to survive. And also conversely to higher um, fat mass as well, right? Like that, even that sort of balance of being under muscled and over fat is yeah. going to be a problem. Yeah. Yes. So that is... A, 
She's a good listener. All of that is. Incredible. I listen to everything you say, Gabrielle. Okay. Um, but going back to. Because I paid I her a five. I slipped her a five. I was like, here's your Venmo for your five. This yeah. yeah. Um, I, I want to keep tying things back into things that I'm hearing women comment on and talk about in the Facebook group. Because I think it'll just make it like just tying it in directly makes it really helpful. And one of the things that I think um, some I've heard some women say when they're talking about trying to balance the idea of carbs and how many carbs and when and whatever. And they're saying like, I've got this husband and he can eat like all the carbs in the world. And look, there's a lot of other factors there. Men and right. women physiologically are different, but there's also probably something to be said for the fact that again, men as a baseline have so much more muscle than we do that they can, they can get away with more carbs, generally speaking than we can. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so you you all, you think about muscle mass, which is one part, and then you think about their hormonal status. So they have higher amounts of testosterone, and that in and of itself, having a higher amount of testosterone is by nature anabolic. So their capacity and their metabolism, their utilization for growth is much higher. Yeah. You know, and women as we age become more carbohydrate sensitive, and there are uh, estrogen receptors in the muscle. You know, it's not just testosterone. And as these things changes, and thyroid, when your thyroid decreases, your ability to utilize substrate and fuel like glucose for the muscle changes. So that's um, kind of a real sciencey way of saying your carbohydrate tolerance, the amount of carbohydrates that you can eat at one time go down. And that's where you got to really think about a meal threshold amount. Mm -hmm before anything else is a meal threshold amount of carbohydrates. So many things to look forward to for women as they get older, right? It's like, I'm almost done, you can eat less carbs. Okay, let's talk about this then, because this is a question that a lot of people are having, how to put together meals in terms of getting enough protein, um, not overdoing it on the carbs, not overdoing it on the fat, because those are easy to do for women who are smaller and we're not trying to gain weight. Um, talk a little bit about this sort of like threshold per meal for carbs. Yeah. Um, so even to take a step back, while carbohydrates and proteins both have four calories per gram or four, so for every one gram, it's four calories there. And that's theor theoretically true. Metabolically, they're different. Right. What does that mean? That means that it's very difficult to become overweight eating protein. It takes a lot of energy. There's a thermal effect of feeding, which is it takes quite a bit of energy to even metabolize that protein. So while something could have 180 grams of protein and or 180 calories of protein and 180 calories of carbohydrates, the way in which your body utilizes that is totally different. Mm -hmm. So protein is your number one macronutrient, and it is for a series of reasons. Number one, especially as it relates to now, protein is essential in maintaining muscle mass, which is number two. As we are home and doing a lot of, you know, hedonic eating, which is not eating for hunger, but eating out of emotion, protein, there's many studies, especially out of, out of Heather Leidy's lab, that it improves satiation. So it affects the neurotransmitters as well as the hormones to drive to fuel. So you actually, if your plate is anchored in protein, number one, you protect your muscle. And number two, you protect your mind from overfeeding. It's so good. So those are, those are, so what does that mean per meal? That means a minimum, well, number one, it's really hard to overeat protein. Mm -hmm. You could have 60 grams of, of protein, no problem. But really you're looking at between 30 and 50 would be optimal. 30 and 50, 30 to 50 grams of protein would be optimal. Okay, so I want to go back to this because I, 
am very much resonating with everything you're saying. And some of the things that you're talking about are literally my like success factors for in terms of body composition and just a healthy relationship with eating. Because as we know, I've got a sweet tooth. I like to eat junk food and I comfort myself with food like everybody else in the world. Nobody should feel bad about doing that because no one in the world has not done that. But one of the things that I've been saying in the group and I've been hammering at home is protein first at every meal. Protein first because... Like I've tried keto and people talk about how satisfying keto is. I can overeat macadamia nuts until I'm dead. Everybody. Everybody. Right. But I I actually don't believe that a ketogenic diet for women is the way to go. I mean, I've been in practice. I've been seeing patients for over a decade. And I am telling you for all the patients, when it comes to weight loss, the proclivity and the, the gravity, people talk about keto, keto, keto. And I have found that that works better for men. Mm-hmm. But as it's very few women that I have found do well over the long term on a ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we'll let's get into that. But but going back to the protein thing, like, and one of the big conversations we're having is this concept of, as you said, hedonic eating. So this like eating out of boredom, eating out of comfort, eating just because it's there. Um, and and one it's fun. Thing, and it's yeah, and it tastes delicious, and it's great. Like there's a lot of reasons why people do it. Yeah. But I have found, and I you know I talk about sort of doing these carnivore resets, and I know that's something you play yeah. with as well. And I again don't advocate for people to eat only ground beef forever for the rest of their lives, but doing that reset with protein because, as you've said, and it's been clinically proven by people smarter yeah. than myself, that protein is uh, it takes a lot more work to digest, and it's also incredibly satisfying in a way that your hunger systems, even if you they tend to be a little bit out of whack, are going to tell you very strongly that you've eaten yeah. enough food in a way that fat doesn't, in a way that carbs certainly do not. So if you focus on making protein, and it doesn't have to be ground beef, it's whatever protein is delicious and good for you. If you, if you live in our in our house. Yeah. If it's, beef, it's beef liver, so you don't have to live in our houses. But, um, but the idea of eating protein first, and then people talking about like they want their sweet after dinner, or they like, like to have this little snack. Right. The concept of eating this very satisfying, satiating protein forward meal first, eat that, chew it, think about it, enjoy it, sit with it for a minute. And then after that, if you're still really craving some carbs or some sugar, then maybe you want to consider it and maybe you want to honor that. But the chances of that happening go way down when you've eaten a satisfying meal that's high in protein. So, okay. So now going back to, you were saying sort of the 30 to 50 um, grams of protein. protein. And listen, you can go over that, but this is enough. So we're talking about body composition and we know that a minimum of 30 grams. So one of the things if we just really think about why we're eating, are you eating for hunger? And if you're eating for hunger, you can just eat a little bit and be okay. Or are you eating to optimize your metabolism? Mm -hmm. Those are two questions that you should think before you put food in your mouth. Am I eating for hunger, which could just be a little bit, or am I eating for metabolism? Yeah. Okay. That's where the number comes from. Because on the lower end, you're just eating to satisfy hunger. And on a higher end, you are looking for maintaining your muscle tissue and also maintain, you know, if you're uh, calories don't come from protein. They got to come from somewhere else. Right. Yeah. I remember posting something on Instagram. I think you would agree with that. It was sort of a joke, but not really. It's like, are you hungry enough to eat a steak? 
If not, you are probably not hungry. And that's that's the concept. Like everybody can eat some chips. You can always eat chocolate, but are you hungry enough to eat protein? Because we know our body, even if our minds don't know it, our bodies know that it takes a lot of work and there is like a pretty high demand to eat that protein. There's a high reward as well. But okay, but I want to go back to those numbers again because I know that there are some people who are listening who are thinking 50 grams of protein in a meal, there's no effing way I'm going to be able to pull that that's seven ounces. And, you know, um, Ashley is doing the intermittent fasting. I know because I've seen her, she's doing the time restricted feeding, having a bigger bolus of protein at that one time works great. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I think, I think there is going to be a little bit of a mental shift for some women, and I'm not necessarily even speaking to the women listening, although I'm sure there are some who are maybe more used to, and especially if they're coming from a keto world, because I think a lot of these women are, they're more uh, used to fat centric with almost some protein like on the side or on top of their salad or whatever. And like for you and I to sit in front of a massive plate of steak is pretty normal, but for a lot of women, it isn't. And so what are some things that we can do? What are some things we can tell ourselves, some practices we can do to start to just get over this concept that like a healthy portion of protein is like, that's heavy. That's going to make us fat. That's going to sit in our stomach. That's going to be uncomfortable. How do we start to like get over that a little bit? Well, first of all, if you waited until you were ready for anything, you would never do anything. Uh-oh. Right? Honey. Are you getting another call? No, I need him to get the uh, battery for my computer. Honey, oh, yeah. I need to figure it out. I'm on a live webinar. You got it. Get on this. Plug in the, plug in the laptop. You're just going to have to find it, whether it's over there or in the bedroom. Okay. While this is happening, we're getting a lot of comments from women who are like, I can totally eat steak and I can definitely eat a lot of meat. And that's great. I applaud you. Good. If you want to eat more, if you want to eat more than 50 grams of protein, then also do that. Just chew your food. Don't inhale it. And if you're, if you're still going 12 ounces in, congratulations. I'm proud and, of you. Know, you ha- they, the mindset has to shift and you can't wait till you're going to be ready. So yeah. I am telling you. As an expert, this is the right thing to do. Just mm-hmm. execute it. Trust mm-hmm. me. Put the onus on me for one month. You know, just put it on me for one month and let me manage that. Just mm-hmm. execute it. Because if yeah. you wait till you're ready or you do something slowly, you're never going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And I mean, it is also, again, sort of like the tough love thing that you cannot, maybe maybe you're scared of eating a lot of protein or maybe you feel like fat. Why would why, we'd have to address because- this because maybe they've been told it by stupid people on social media, okay? But the answer is, we. this is the classic, you know, concept of like, don't, it's insane to keep trying the same shit and expecting a different response. So if you're scared of eating protein, but you're not happy with your healthier body composition, try something a little different that maybe is scary to you because the only way you're going to change is by changing your behavior, right? So Absolutely. what you're saying, it's like, it's a little bit of tough love. It's like, Oh, you're a little bit unsure about it. We'll do it anyway and give it a shot. And you have nothing to lose. And and it's really about being commitment. So when I think about common pitfalls, when it comes to health and wellness, it's the transition phase is the number one common pitfall, right? Oh, you know, it's been two days. I don't really feel good. I don't feel any different. I mean, you have to buy in to the transition period. Mm -hmm. It's longer than four, you know, it's longer than a week. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you give up. You just keep going forward. Yeah. Okay. So here's a question that I want us to address. Um, 
Heidi is asking about the concept of one gram of protein per pound of body weight. And let's say she hasn't specified if she's either like trying to lose fat, gain muscle, maintain, whatever. But let's assume that we want to either maintain, we can speak to maintaining or gaining lean uh, muscle mass. Is that an approach that you want to start with or do you start? Okay. So across the board, my baseline recommendation is one gram per pound body weight. Exactly that. Um, where the nuances come from is depending on how heavy you are, you know, and if you're in calorie restriction, there are a couple nuances, but how I will say that one gram per pound body weight is fantastic for everybody who's listening. That what is, about the idea? What yeah. about the idea? So you're saying like, you know, obviously there's gonna be some concessions if say you're you're significantly overweight at this point. Right. So for 250 pounds, then you target it off of ideal body weight. But if you are doing, say, a protein sparing fast where you are doing a reset and you're just eating protein and your caloric intake is lower, your protein needs to be higher to okay. protect the muscle tissue. What about the idea of for someone who's a healthy weight who maybe yeah. isn't actively trying to gain um, muscle, especially during quarantine, we're really trying to maintain or improve our body composition. What about the idea? I think you kind of just touched on this, but the the one pound per perhaps like lean body fat, so or body yeah. weight. So yeah. lean ideal body weight would be great. Um, really, the key is then making sure that you're hitting at least 30 grams per meal. So you're hitting 50 grams or so per meal, I think would be a good strategy. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think about times where like, for example, if I'm 130 pounds, but I've got like maybe 105, 107 pounds of lean mass, and I'm trying to drop a couple of those extra fat pounds that I don't really need. Right. I'm not necessarily going to eat every day, 130 grams of protein. I might be closer to like 110, 115. Cause that's certainly enough to kind of keep, uh, right you know, it's, I'm not going to be like losing muscle, but I'm, I'm also, I have to, at some point be cognizant of the calories that are coming in and stuff too. So, um, I guess long story short, you'd say great starting point for most. Yeah, and you always have to be aware of the calories that are coming in no yeah. matter what. Um, and again, it's very hard to overeat protein. One of the things with carbohydrates is carbohydrates also has a threshold. So, um, you know, you want to max your carbohydrates should probably be around 30 to 40 grams if you're eating it. No more than that. Um, and we don't have to talk about it in detail unless there's questions you guys can DM me. But it, as it relates to insulin, so keeping your insulin low, keeping the phase two insulin release low, uh, you know, you want to keep carbohydrates 30 grams or less. And that's 30, 40 grams per day, you're saying, not per meal? Per meal. No, no. Okay. Eating carbohydrates. Okay. You have to think about carbohydrates as a meal threshold. Again, so this is really shifting everyone's thinking. You know, we often think about food in a 24-hour period. And listen, for every 100 grams of protein you eat, you are going to be able to generate 60 grams of carbohydrates. So we don't have an essential need for carbohydrates. And in fact, I am a largely carnivore in style of my eating, right? So I, and you know, Ashley and I are, are probably incredibly similar. We might have a little bit of keto chocolate or we might have a little bit of greens, but not much. Mm -hmm. The majority of the food is protein. Mm -hmm. You can generate all the carbohydrates that you need from, um, from protein. But if you are just going to eat carbohydrates and your body then becomes reliant on your exogenous carbohydrate, which is mm -hmm. whatever the carbohydrate you eat, mm -hmm. that needs to be thought of as a meal threshold. 
Got it. And whether it's vegetables or not, it really shouldn't, you know, the sweet spot for weight loss is, is probably around 30 grams. Okay. That's very helpful. Can you talk about, for anyone who doesn't understand this concept, how you can actually end up getting glucose, getting carbs from your protein intake? So protein goes through a process called gluconeogenesis. And that is, again, the creation of new glucose. And it's just by impure it's metabolism. So what happens when you eat a higher protein diet, your body becomes reliant on its own ability to generate glucose. I'm going to say that again. When you have an optimal protein diet, your body becomes accustomed to generating its own glucose as opposed to being reliant on a meal-to-meal -meal glucose need. That's incredible. What does that mean for you? It means that your blood sugar remains stable because you are not reliant on um, carbohydrates or fruits or grains or, or, or carbohydrates in your diet to maintain your blood sugar. Mm -hmm. and that is really profound and important to understand. Yes, that is very important for people to understand. That's something I was a little bit talking about in the in the group too. Um, the idea that when you're putting in, when you're constantly putting in carbs, that's what your body's going to use, but it doesn't have to. And the whole idea of losing fat is your body being able to use the fat that it already has, because everybody has enough fat to use on a daily basis. Like even the fit ones more than enough fat to use. And it also goes back to this concept that Rachel, um, my co-host with this series, um, and I are talking about all the time that's so important is this concept of metabolic flexibility. So whether you're keto, whether you like to do carnivore, whether you just do a bodybuilding diet that's like relatively moderate in carbs, it's the idea that you don't need this constant influx of energy because your body knows how to use its own energy. So what do you think are like the big, for people listening, who would like to maintain a healthy whole foods, but relatively like moderate macro kind of diet. Like they yeah. want to have their avocado and they like their steak, but like they're going to eat some potatoes. They're going to eat fruit. They're going to, you yeah. know, whatever. What, what's your kind of advice for how they can maintain this sort of like sustainable moderation um, yeah. while not still getting on this hamster wheel of like being, a, you know, needing carbs basically. First meal of the day is most important. Now, notice I didn't say breakfast, and I didn't say it has to be at 8 in the morning, but your first meal of the day is your most important, and that meal should be largely protein and fat. As you get up, moving around, you are moving your muscle tissue, then if you want to have more carbohydrates, having a one-to-one -one ratio can be a benefit, or having that higher protein lower carbohydrates within around 30 grams of carbohydrates per meal or less is how you would do it. So you would essentially backload your carbohydrates. Again, if you are training carbohydrates before, I mean, there's many different schools of thought, so it really depends on your training status. If you train fasted or post-workout is a great time to have maybe your largest carbohydrate load because the nutrients and the tissues are depleted. So that is definitely one strategy. Okay. Um, so again, first meal of the day is most important. Keep that lower in carbohydrates. Later on in the day, make sure you are always having protein with every meal. And then you can add in a little bit of carbohydrates and then post-training. That, okay. that, you do that and that would be. I want to hear all your success stories. Oh, there's going to be so many because these women are on the ball. Okay, so here's kind of a big question. I'm going to start to go through it, but I think there's like a bigger question coming out of it that we can address. 
So he's keto following 70, 25, five fat protein carb ratio. Okay. Interested in upping her protein. So I think what she's asking is, should she just go straight into significantly upping the protein or should she sort of like work her way gradually? So the, more yeah, my muscle. The, okay. um, this is a good question. So the, the people who have to transition slowly with um, protein are those individuals who are mostly vegan and vegetarian because there is a period of time where you have to upregulate enzymes. But because your diet has already been 25% protein, your ability to transition should already be there essentially. Um, that being said, of course, you can do it within a two week period where you begin to transition, you know, um, perhaps a little slower, you don't jump right into a carnivore diet, but mm -hmm. calories matter. No matter what anyone says, the core fundamentals are definitely based on calories mm -hmm. and whether it changes your ability to metabolize fat or it changes your ability, you know, the metabolic flexibility, calories do matter. So my suggestion to you would be, you can begin to reduce it but you, you should be hitting your target by two weeks. Okay. If you reduce right. your fat, you should be hitting your target by, by two weeks. And that's a very high, that's a pretty high fat diet. Yeah. And, I th and I think one of the things too that I'm seeing in the comments and that I want to address is for people, a lot of the women that are on this group are if, like looking at the grand subsection of the world. You guys are all studs. I was sorted out, right? When Ashley asked me. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I think women. And like they're smart and they're they're interested in this stuff and so they're already many steps ahead of like the average population which to be fair you're not really dealing with too many average people anyway so you are good at this sort of like fine-tuning um, yeah. next step sort of things but I think one of the things that I want women to take away from this entire challenge but the approach to food because again it's like a universal dilemma that we eat when we're emotional we eat when we're bored we eat when things rock our world and we don't know what's going on um, and we're always trying to be perfect and we're always trying to get rid of the stuff that isn't working so we want to cut out snacking or we want to cut out eating too many carbs at breakfast or we want to cut 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 that's how women approach these things and i right. think one of the things that we really need to remember whether you're eating too much or whether you're an addict of some sort you can't just cut something out of your life and not replace it with something positive and think that it's going to be fine. So if you want to go from like a moderate approach to like eating keto, or if you want to go from eating breakfast every day to never eating breakfast, and then you just like cut something cold turkey out of your life, and you're like, I'm going to be fine. Like, mm, that's not usually how it works, right? So we want to replace habits right. that aren't serving us with habits that are serving us, right? So yeah. I think that that's a really important thing for people to remember is that if you want to suddenly cut all of the carbs or most of the carbs from your diet, um, you need to replace it with maybe a little bit more quality protein, or you need to replace it with bigger meals rather than many frequent meals that have carb snacks in between. So I just want people, I just, it's like a little aside, but I just want people to remember like women have this attitude of we constantly have to be restricting, restricting. And I think you and I are very good examples of people like I am, I'm not feeling hungry too often. I'm not feeling like I'm not eating what I want to eat or like I'm settling for things. It's just about adjusting, you know? Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it's also knowing what your weaknesses are. If you cannot plan for where you fail, you have to know where your Achilles heel is. The more you can exploit your weaknesses, the more you will have the ability to execute, stick to the plan and charge forward. So, you know, people always focus on your strengths, but I, you know, if you're my patient, you know, I don't, I don't care where you're strong. I do not care. I want to know 
where you are the weakest so that we can fix it. You should all know exactly where your weaknesses are so that you can plan and prepare for those and then execute on those. Yeah. Okay. I've got another question here um, and it's about keto versus carnivore, but I think we should maybe even just bring it a little bit more broadly. The question is, is carnivore or keto better for losing fat around the midsection, but maybe let's just talk about losing fat around the midsection in general terms too. Right. So the first thing as it relates to weight loss is calorie control and then the quality of your body composition. And the quality of your body composition, there's tons of research and tons of data. Having optimal protein really and a low carbohydrate diet while calories are controlled are is really exceptional. So um, one diet is one diet better than the other when they're both calorie controlled, I would say no. But when you think about the other metabolic benefits of protein, I would say that that is much, um, that that's much better. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you know, you don't have to say it doesn't have to be carnivore. Carnivore doesn't have to be all meat. And I like to think of it as a more optimal protein diet. Yeah. Um, isn't it also, I mean, obviously there's variance with individuals where they hold their body fat, right? Like generally, you know, men are going to carry a lot of that sort of visceral fat around their guts and we're going to get more kind of hips and butt and stuff like that. But is it also accurate to say that it tends to be um, extra calories, but also extra carbs sometimes too, that exacerbates this kind of midline area? Like that's one of the easiest things to kind of cut down if you want to cut down on that midline fat. Yes. Yeah, so. So when you really unpack that and you break that down, belly fat, you know, fat is fat, but why, you know, what, and this is from clinical experience. One, one thing that happens is women go through menopause and have hormonal changes. One of the first places that they begin to put on weight is around their midsection. And is it extra carbohydrates? It can be, it can be extra calories. It can be extra alcohol, but you also have this hormonal shift and oftentimes thyroid decreases, estrogen decreases and body fat increases. And as it relates to um, the midsection, that's very common. Mm-hmm. You know, there's other things too, like cortisol, right? Yes. You go through a period of stress and maybe you're not sleeping well and having night sweats or you're up all night because your husband snores. Shane, <laughs> kidding. Have you figured that out yet? That's gonna be no, no. Got a baby and a snorer in the house. Earplugs, earplugs, and a sleep apparatus. You know how all the operators. Of course. Of course. So the, the, that mid, that belly fat, you know, and and that is from clinical experience. And then one of the other things is that the younger women get fat on their triceps and hips, and um, I often see that when women start birth control. And, and again, this is just clinical, uh, you know, observation from over a decade of seeing patients that this mm-hmm. is one of the things that I see. Hey, everybody, interrupting my own damn podcast here to tell you about today's show sponsor because they're important. And before you skip through this, I got to tell you, this is one of the biggest discounts that basically any company ever offers for things like this. It's 20% off. So maybe you want to listen to this one. I'll keep it brief. You guys know already, Bubs Naturals is my only source for collagen and MCT powder, which I am using consistently every day in my coffee, in my baking, in my protein oatmeal, in my bone broth, whatever I'm eating basically is going to have one or both of these products in it. Um, You know, what else do you need? Collagen, coffee, chocolate, organ meats. That's it. Uh, Bubs makes the best collagen. It mixes better than any other product I've tried. 
their MCT goes into my iced coffee every morning and mixes really well. It makes it creamy, full of healthy fats for if I'm not going to have a big breakfast, I just kind of want to get going but obviously still need my coffee. Uh, and also, this company gives a full 10% of their earnings to a charity that supports military veterans, which is an important cause um, and one that I support and will continue to support. So they're a company focused on giving back first before making money, which I think is actually pretty rare uh, in this day and age. And they just happen to make great products. So it's a win, win, win all around. Go to bubsnaturals.com and use the code MM20, which stands for Muscle Maven 20% off. So MM20 at bubsnaturals.com. Go get some collagen for your gut health and your beauty. Get some MCT to support those low carb goals and do something to help the world all at the same time. All right, that's it. Back to the show. Okay, so going back to one of the thoughts that we didn't kind of fully finish, and we do have some women here um, who are kind of um, talking about the changes that are happening hormonally as we're getting older and how that affects the way we eat. And one of the things that you talked about, I want to see if I can bring this question up again. Um, Julie's talking about it. So you were saying how we kind of have this lower threshold for carbs as we get older. Can you kind of expand on that a little bit for, for yeah. women who are trying to figure that out? So, um, you know, when you're young... And, you know, you're in high school, you can do whatever you want. You can have the Twinkie diet and you're still shredded and you don't even think twice about it. But as you age, you become much less driven by hormones. Uh, and if you are driven by insulin, it doesn't make you taller, it makes you wider. So the concept of a carbohydrate threshold is there is this obligatory use in the body. And ultimately, you have to maintain blood sugar. You know, you, your um, red blood cells need some, your brain needs some, your liver needs some, you know, all these other organs need some. So you get an obligatory carbohydrate use. And what that means is that your body is requiring glucose. It doesn't mean you have to eat it. When you think about the meal threshold, you also have to think about insulin secretion. You really want to keep insulin as low as possible because then you'll get a rebound uh, hypoglycemic effect, which then you'll eat more food, right? And you know, glucose in and of itself is toxic. It's cytotoxic and will dominate metabolism. So you will go through a period where you are increasing insulin and increasing fat storage. Okay. So the, the threshold should be 30 to 40 grams max based on obligatory carbohydrate use. And I actually have a great post on that in my Instagram is a, it talks about where the rate of appearance and the disappearance and where all the carbohydrates go. So mm -hmm. the 30 to 40 grams per meal, anything above that, you then are more at risk to increase, you know, more insulin and then begin to store body fat. Okay. And of course, you know, we talk about if you're a 24 year old athlete and you're doing hour long, crazy workouts and, yeah. you know, and there's going to be bioindividuality. People can handle more or less. But I think that the other concept for people to consider, um, instead of even like 30 grams is a great guideline, um, but to consider the idea, as you've been talking about, that you don't have to never eat carbs again, but you also don't have to eat carbs again. So you just kind of look at it both ways, yeah. right? Like you get to this metabolically flexible place. If you get to this place where you're eating this high quality protein and your body can now synthesize that and use it in the way that it's meant to be used, you can play with a little bit of carbs here and there and you can have them and you don't have to demonize them, but you also don't need them. And getting right. out of that cycle is what I think is really important. I, I couldn't agree more. And these are really important points. And listen, if you guys can really synthesize and integrate what we're talking about, it will change your relationship with food. And that's ultimately yeah. what we all want is we want you to have freedom. And yeah. these are strategic, implementable items 
your freedom, physical freedom. Yep. Okay. I've got another question for you while you're taking notes. Um, this is a question about calculating calorie and macros for body recomposition. Should I be eating at maintenance? And then what I burn from training is my calorie deficit. Um, so I think she's wondering if you want to improve your body comp, do you go first to a dietary deficit or do you kind of start at maintenance and try to make the deficit through exercise? I think figuring out what you actually need. So there is variability. I mean, we do have formulas, but either doing an in-body or getting um, an apparatus where you actually have a sense of what you're burning. Um, and I'm working with a company. Hopefully I'll be working with a company that I'll be able to offer that. So you guys have to know. The best way to kind of also get a gauge is to track what you're eating for two weeks. See what your average caloric intake is. You know, I found it helpful both ways. So what I found is that when you implement formulas, that it's it's very cookie cutter and that there is an ebb and flow because there is genetic variability, period. Um, so that all being said is track your calories for two weeks of what you would normally eat, see what your average is, and then begin to reduce it. Um, you know, I would start with between 250 to 500 calories a day. You know, really see, you don't want to, you know, this is a funny time. Um, so you don't really want to be stressing your, I, I don't know, I feel a little bit torn. If you have external stress right now, don't create internal stress. So yeah. kind of figure out and gauge really where you are and where your capacity is to execute. Yeah. So that you're setting yourself up for success and not failure. Yeah. And I mean, this goes back to the goals too. Like we're talking about goals on this page and it's great for everybody to have I want to lose weight or I want to get stronger during this time right. or I want to do whatever. But we also have to be realistic about this time where maybe the best goal is to stress less about the food that you're eating, to stress less about getting in your two hour workout that you normally get. And I think I was saying for most people, some people are already super sorted out and aware of their bodies and their needs. But for, right. for most people, if you wanted to focus on just eating unprocessed whole foods and don't go overboard with the, the weighing and measuring and the tracking, you know, if you've got way too much food on your plate, like just, if you just yeah. think about eating the real good nourishing food, the need to track everything and measure everything is going to go down. And that's not to say that you can't do some tweaks and do, you know, if you're right. get really super jacked or whatever. But I think for most people, it's like, what goal actually makes the most sense for you right now? And then you figure out the plan afterwards. And I know Going back to this specific question too, and you know, you and I both have like competitive fitness backgrounds. So we know all about this like macro calorie counting and working out to burn all the extra calories. I think like you probably want to mostly unless you have a background of like seriously um, dysfunctional attitudes towards eating. I would think that you'd probably want to focus a little bit more on tightening the quality and the amounts of your food before using exercise to get you into a deficit, just because first of all, it's way harder than you think to lose weight on exercise alone, right? You got yeah, sure. 10 hours a day. And yeah. also you don't want to use exercise as this punishing thing to burn your calories. Like it's great to know that exercise burns calories. It's great to know that your HIIT workouts are helping you burn fat, but you don't want to have to like approach every day with like, I got to get those steps in. If I want to lose the extra 200 calories today, that's going to help me lose weight. Right? right. So, and especially during the stressful time, and especially during this time when it's extra hard to get that extra movement in. So I'm not saying don't try to move a lot. I think you should, but to make that be like the focal of like how you're going to lose the weight, I think is probably not the best approach. Right. 
I totally agree with you. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's and, don't, and, listen, and don't be confused. So pick a strategy and execute on it. Mm-hmm. Okay. We've got another protein question for the muscle centric doctor here. Does the amount of times per day we get the 30 to 50 grams of protein bolus matter for optimizing health? Yeah. Okay. So it really depends on your goals, but you should, you know, it depends on your overall protein need. You should be hitting really two, you should want to hit at least two meals, two meals a day of 50 grams. And, you know, like Ashley was saying, depending on your weight, that would put you at a hundred. You could even go over 50 grams. You will utilize all the protein. It will max out muscle protein synthesis, max out at around 50, but you utilize all of it. Okay. Um, two meals is a great place to start. If you're looking to build muscle, you would spread it out and um, keep those meals between 30 and 50. But you'd have to reduce carbohydrates, you know, somewhere along those lines and uh, uh, fats. Okay. For two meals, you know, start with two. If you'd like to do intermittent fasting, calorie control matters. Two, you can go to three. And then beyond that is really as it relates to increasing muscle mass. Does it, how do you feel about, um, for people who are trying to fluff up their protein intake because they maybe have a hard time doing the 50 grams or whatever, do you feel good about like decent quality, like whey protein or protein yeah. for shakes, like all yeah. that, like those things are good? Okay. So whey, ha- you know, really whey is one of the best sources of all those amino acids and it allows you to actually cut your caloric load. So 20 grams of whey would equal the same amount as 30 grams of protein because of the amino acid profile. So if you don't want to eat that much, that's a, a strategy a lot of bodybuilders and athletes use. And you know, CEOs and people that are really working to maintain their energy and, min- and minimize body fat, that's a strategy. So whey protein is great. If you're gonna use a vegan type protein, make sure that it's augmented with branch chain amino acids, okay. which a lot of them are. You know, I work with a company called First Form and we use their vegan pro protein, which has a branch chain amino acids in it. Okay. All right. That's helpful. I I also think another good point here, and I'm sure this is something that you'd back me up on um, in terms of getting enough protein is a lot of the um, struggles people are having right now is snacking, right? Like snacking subconsciously or just because you're bored or whatever. And I do find that for some reason, snacks lend themselves to being carbs all the time. If you're having trouble with your body composition, if you're having trouble with cravings, if you're having trouble with getting enough protein, Guess what's a really good way to sneak in a couple extra grams of protein here and there? If you're yeah. going to snack, snack on protein. Right. Right. Or just don't snack and and put together a program that you eat your meal at 11, then you eat another meal at 3, and then you eat another meal at 7. And that those are your eating windows. And become very structured and very disciplined, and you would be amazed. Because then you start to build integrity within yourself because you are now executing off of what you believe to be valuable. Yeah. So that integrity building is very, really valuable. That is very smart. But yes, also if you're going to snack, eat meat, like eat some, I don't know, like cottage meat, have a protein shake. I'll send you some food. Thank you. Okay. All right. Some food. All right. We're getting some very good questions here again. Okay. Um, Talk. No, I won't do your laundry. In the case someone's asking, I can't even get my own shit done. Somebody else has to do your laundry. Okay. Here's a good question. Um, Let's talk about protein and kidney damage. People are scared of this. Right. So that's um, not true. And there's been a few recent uh, recent meta analysis. And for those of you who don't know what a meta analysis is, it's 
taking high quality studies, typically they're high quality studies. And this uh, meta-analysis was done from Stu Phillips, who is one of the world leading protein researchers. He's actually Canadian at McMaster University. And um, they compile a whole bunch of research and then they look at the overall picture, right? So it compares everything and they do it meta-analysis. And what it actually has been determined is that protein improves glomerular filtration rate. So actually protein improves kidney function. That is a whole you know, myth about kidney damage and protein, it's not true. Where did and that come from in the first place? Because nutrition is political. Mm. Nutrition and protein is political. Protein is largely a commodity. A commodity meaning beef, egg, it's a commodity dairy. And so they actually are handcuffed and chained to what they can say. Whereas you have processed oatmeal and processed foods that can say whatever they want because they're under the umbrella of the Federal Trade Commission. Mm -hmm. Really, everything that we know about nutrition is largely myths, truly myths. And they've been perpetuated. This narrative has been perpetuated. So there is never in the history of ever have they shown that healthy kidneys, eating protein causes kidney damage? What does cause kidney damage is excess carbohydrates because carbs and glucose are cytotoxic. Mm -hmm. And this is the uphill battle that we're fighting and it is really a policy issue. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, okay. So, yeah. This, this will be a second conversation where we talk yeah. about the politics and conspiracies of people trying to get us to stop eating high quality meat. I can't even go down there right now. I honestly right, can't. Yeah. I, can't. I haven't had enough coffee this morning to go down there, but we will at some point, maybe in the future. Um, but what do you think, because you mentioned it, what do you think of, because um, someone asked this in terms of like keto and protein and health, what do you think about dairy? I think if you can tolerate it, it's great. Yeah. You know, I have found that it is inflammatory for a lot of people, yeah. but if you can tolerate it, um, there is no issue with it. Inherently, there's no issue. Yeah, you just need to know. That's that's another thing that we talk about a lot is that like there is no cookie cutter diet and there is no even someone as smart as Gabrielle isn't going to be able to tell over this call what exactly you should eat and when and how much because there's a certain element of us individually having to take the responsibility to figure it out for ourselves. You You'll know, know if you can't talk. Yeah. I've all options that I've ever seen I've really had maybe two or three who were vegan. And I mean, I've had many vegan and vegetarians throughout the years of my practice, but you know, just as an offshoot, it's so interesting. I have about three people in my practice that thrive being vegan. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of their gut microbiome. It, it has a capacity to extract amino acids in a way that we can't. It's yeah. just really interesting. Is it, is it the majority? No, it's the minority. So don't do it. Unless you're one of those, yeah. I mean, that's the crazy thing about human beings, right? Like, there's yeah. professional athletes who can thrive on the candy diet too. Doesn't mean you should be doing yeah. it. The human that's body great. is incredible. Um, okay, let's talk about collagen peptides because you and I yeah. are obviously huge fans, but it's yeah. not the same as a total protein or a whey protein. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I think that collagen peptides are incredible, and you know, we both use the company Bubs, the best, best. of the best. Um, and collagen proteins, what I've seen clinically, this is really interesting. So they are lacking the branched chain amino acids, you know, in, in large parts. So they're considered an incomplete protein. You wouldn't utilize, I, I don't even count collagen towards my total protein intake. Where it's helpful, and this is just anecdotally, I have seen it in skin, hair, 
nails, gut health. And I actually don't believe that it's based on the amino acid profile, like it's high in proline, hydroxyproline, glycine, which can help with sleep. I believe that it probably stimulates something downstream that has beneficial effects. And we just don't know because they just haven't done research on it yet. Mm -hmm. But also, you know, to answer the question, collagen peptides, they're great. They are, I do not include them as a form of protein unless the way around that is to add in a branch chains. Okay. So you can add in a scoop of branch chains and now you've got your complete protein. So it's really more of a, of a amino acid, but health supplement really than like this counting towards my protein intake. Okay. Um, so let's talk about for people who are on board and willing to give this solid protein forward diet a try. Um, but may have trouble or think they may have trouble with the digestion part of it, especially for women who grew up eating, you know, like one boiled egg is their protein kind of thing. And now we're saying yeah. eat a big old steak. Um, right. Do you see people having digestive issues? And, and how do we work around that? Yes, I do, actually. So there's something really interesting that happens. And I often hear that people feel really heavy when they eat protein. And that's largely because you do need hydrochloric acid and you do need a robust um, gastric response to be able to digest protein, which typically diminishes as you age. How do you circumvent that? Well, super simple. You can add in digestive enzymes with HCL, and that should immediately eradicate that experience. Okay, cool. All right, just following up again here, someone was asking about the brand. So I actually mentioned this on the Facebook um, train, but I know that we're talking so much and there's so many posts. What I'm going to do on the Facebook page is in our files folder on the left side where we're posting all kinds of Word documents and resources, I'm going to post a resource of all of the companies that we are working with, talking about, endorsing, mentioning, and I'll put Bubs over there. The company is called Bubs Naturals. So you go to bubsnaturals.com. They have a uh, really, really high quality grass-fed pro um, collagen protein and they have MCT, but it's just an amazing company. They put 10% of their their sales to a charity, which is unheard of. Um, and they're just amazing folks and we love them and their products are amazing. So Bubs is named after a really good a friend of Shane. So they all shared a mutual friend who's a former uh, SEAL who passed away and that was Glenn Doherty. So. Yeah, yeah, they're an amazing company. And I actually wrote an article about them. I can post that in our story so you can oh, see cool. it. Fantastic company. And we'll put that so you guys can see it and have access to it if you want to check them out. Um, we, I know we're getting a little bit close to time here. We could keep you on here all day talking, but we'll ask a couple more I'm questions. happy to come back. I'm so happy that Ashley asked me whatever I can do to help support you guys. It means the world to me. You know, the, the better that you do, especially during the, these times, the better we all do because you are the the leaders in your family. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I appreciate it so much. And we'll make sure too that when we get off this call in the thread, I'll put your website, your Instagram, anybody that's not following you, obviously go do that. And then you can reach out sure. to Gabrielle. Yeah. Like if you want to talk to her and I have and, a newsletter yeah. and uh, oh, some of these studies that I'm talking about. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love to come back. Yeah. And you're always doing all kinds of stuff. You've always got like webinars and events and you're taking clients and there's all kinds of opportunities to connect with you deeper. So we'll make sure that people can do that if they want to. I need an assistant. Anyone who's looking for work. If you're looking for an assistant. Throw that out there. Good luck is hard to find, my friend. Um, okay. Here's another question, that, another big question that we can get into. Um, speaking about the kidney damage fallacy, what about the meat and cholesterol issue? So cholesterol is typically not from the diet, 
right? Your body has an inherent uh, way in which it generates cholesterol, and that's largely been disproven. So there's nothing that relates protein intake and cholesterol. That's, I mean, that's just not even accurate, and it's not believed in science at all. When you think about increasing cholesterol, you really think about increasing carbohydrates and how it's repackaged in the liver. And that's one of the markers I always look at is what is someone's triglycerides, and it's typically related to their carbohydrate intake. And you have to understand the majority of cholesterol is not driven by the diet. So, and isn't it also true that I think we've we've been taught to think that the word cholesterol is inherently a bad word when cholesterol is actually a very necessary component of our right. body. Like our brains are like mostly cholesterol, right? Yeah, yeah. So we need cholesterol. It's just about how it's produced, how we get it, yeah. where we because get it. Hormones, right? You know, the lower your, you know, which is why when people went on. Um, cholesterol medications, their testosterone went down, their hormones went down. Right. Okay. Um, I just got a really smart comment here from someone who said that you have the cutest baby ever. And that is actually a fact. She also loves liver. So we are actually kindred spirits. God, I love that baby. I can't really. Yeah. Come over Aries. Let's everybody I'm, I'm, say Aries. auntie. Come and say hi to Auntie. Put it where's the bow? So cute, guys. I can't wait until we can all be in person and like I can squish her again. And oh, I miss this little baby. Anyway, okay, she'll maybe come. Okay, maybe Um, she'll make an appearance. All right, we've got another question here. (gasps) Hi, Marys. Were you just having some snacks? Wait, 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 ready? See, Gabrielle's a working from home mom as well. Feeling <laughs> so much crap. Aries isn't feeling it. No, she's not feeling the glasses. That's fine. You got some good fashion though, as always. Chunky monkey. All right. Oh, the Whoa. Okay, love you, Aries. I miss you. Oh, perfect. You didn't burp her. Come back and take her. Oh, gosh, she's vomited everywhere. <laughs> right on cue. Did she have too much steak for right? You're still cute, Aries. You're still cute. See ya. Bye. Everybody here that's watching with a child is like, yes, that's a classic thing. Okay. All right. Just rub it in my arms, my face. It's a little bit throw up, no problem. All right. We have another serious question and then we might start to wrap this up. No, that's just love. Where did the question go? Hold on. Oh yeah, this is good. Okay. Blood work. Talk so to us. I do my patients are like, yo, Dr. G, if you stick me one more time, I I would say I get more than routine blood work. I typically have my patients lay down and give it. No, I'm just kidding. But um you cannot adjust what you don't track. You have to know the numbers. You cannot be, whoa, this side, daddy. So you As it relates to intuition, that is not how you treat a patient. That's not how you should navigate and negotiate your blood work. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? Every three months, I mean, you should be on top of it. I mean, that may be a little aggressive, maybe six months. But really, if you're making any kind of changes, track it. And do I do home kits? It depends on what home kit you're talking about. So typically, I... um, We'll do certain types of toxicology 
kits or hormonal kits that are urine. So those are home kits. But as it relates to blood, there are a couple of finger stick dried blood stuff, but we're just starting to use it because of the current environment. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, but you would say generally speaking, I mean, I think it's smart for, I still have this Dutch test that I haven't taken and sent to you, by the way, we need to talk Ashley is my patient. And yeah. uh, you know, I know that I can spill the beans on that because she spilled the beans on that. Yep. We did, blood test. we did blood test and we had a great chat about some yeah. things that were to improve. And I did, I still have to do this hormonal one though, because this is like a legit thing. We'll talk about it offline, but I got to send that to you. Um, but anyway, but you're saying that obviously, especially anytime there's a change or anytime you're looking to enact a change, it makes absolute sense to do some baseline testing. Um, and is, so would you generally recommend if you can to like get with your doctor and do the blood testing over like ordering stuff online? Yeah. Absolutely. One of the things is you have to know that the the testing is validated. Um, I know that there's inside tracker and there's other ways to get blood. And I think they're contracted with labs and that's totally a viable option. Just keep in mind that you can be reliant on the individual who's processing it and there is error. They make mistakes all the time. So yeah, I mean, it's just something to think. I, I really feel like you should work with an expert. Yeah. And as it relates to blood work, an expert would be considered a physician. And there's a lot of variability and we have more access than ever before to people um, and to different specialists and things like that. And I think everybody has a very important role, whether it's a nutritionist or a health coach or a physician. And I think when you are really vetting your sources, that's important as it relates to blood work. Okay. One more question, and then we're going to wrap this up with some summaries. Um, we've got someone talking about hair loss, and I feel yeah. like... There's not a lot of detail here. So there could be obviously a lot of things going on there, but mm-hmm. would this be generally, I mean, it, I suppose it could be nutritional deficiency, but also some hormonal stuff going on. Yeah. There, the, the top things for hair loss, number one is thyroid. Um, and that is either low or too high. There are thyroid receptors in the hair, the hair follicles, which is so interesting. And that's what it also makes them acutely sensitive to stress and cortisol. When it comes to nutritional aspects of hair, um, ferritin is huge, making sure that those ferritin levels are optimized. And when you look at the lab work, there's a huge range of what is considered normal. And for hair growth and maintenance, I personally like to see ferritin at 100 to 130. Anything other than that, you you can see hair loss. Um, And then of course, zinc and and your nutrients, liver is great, is, is super robust iron, um, and other nutrient deficiencies. Although, and, would, uh, yeah, so this might are, be another case where maybe some blood tests and working with your doctor because this could also be yeah. a number of things. And, and also, hair goes in cycles. So, there's something called telangic effusion, which goes in three month cycles. So, all of a sudden, you'll, hair, you'll see, oh. you know, hair loss like it's happening to me right now. And don't be afraid. And then it goes away. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, Ashley has enough hair for all of us. So, maybe she'll donate some. Yeah, maybe when I'm when I get back to uh, going outside and getting my hair done, you might see something very different in a couple of months. But um, okay, because hair loss can be really scary. And then there's topical preparations like Rogaine for women, or topical melatonin, or all that kind of stuff. Moosey, are you ready to come over and say bye? Yeah, we weren't done yet, but so I know we're getting more questions even coming in. But yeah, um, just really quickly, we've got one about peptides. So someone's talking about ipimorelin and some other one, CJC1295. What do you, what do you? CJC and ipimorelin are fantastic peptides for women who are looking to lose fat. They're not super great in building muscle, but they are definitely great for losing fat. 
So you have um, a growth hormone receptor. Uh, it's like a growth hormone receptor analog and they're great. It's great. Is so this something that you take after you have sorted out your nutrition yeah. and lifestyle? Like, yeah. this is like a tweak. This isn't like I want to do this instead of eating properly, right? Right. I mean, so you're looking at something that's going to help with the secretion of growth hormone and then help with the receptor aspect of growth hormone. Is it, um, you know, it really depends on how aggressive, you know, you, it's not just a magic shot. Yeah. You have to do all the things. And, you know, in my practice, I'm very aggressive because I believe that, you know, the average number of the average number of physicians my patients have seen before they get to me is about 13. So by the time they've seen 13 physicians, I'm like, let's go. You've tried this, this, and this. Your core fundamental is nutrition. The second aspect is, so nutrition, nutritional deficiencies. After that, you're definitely looking at hormone, hormonal regulation, thyroid, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. Mm -hmm. Then you're looking at peptides. And I typically will start some kind of medication or peptide right off the bat because it doesn't have to be a growth hormone secretagogue, but as it relates to metformin, you know, there's all this hype out there and that's what's so confusing. You can use a low dose metformin, cleanly compounded metformin with alpha lipoic acid and chromium at 250 milligrams twice a day. And you will begin to see changes that improve insulin sensitivity. Okay. And then, I mean, there's all kinds of peptides, but yes, anyway. We can definitely go down a third rabbit hole talking about peptides. Um, Gabrielle, I appreciate you so much. Thank you so much for taking this time. You have so much going on and you just, you know how much you, you help people and this like specific group who are so enthusiastic and so just ready to absorb information. I think that this has been like really, really helpful. I know I learned something every time I talk to you. So, um, thank you. You're the best. I love you. You're the best. I love you. And I'll, we'll FaceTime you later. We're on staycation. We're pretending we're on vacation. So yeah. Cause it's Easter holiday. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll staycation later. Um, but so I'm just going to remind everybody, just tell people where to follow you and then I'll put it in the, um, thing too, if they want to follow up and talk to you or ask questions, but just where do people go to check you out? You guys can find me on my Instagram at Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, L-Y-O-N, it's on the bottom there. And uh, I'm pretty active there. I've slowed down a bit because I haven't, just this last couple of weeks, because I haven't really wanted to contribute to the noise. I want everyone to, you know, I think people are taking a break off social media, so I haven't been as active, but usually I'm posting two to three times a week. Um, they can go to my website and you guys can sign up for my newsletter. Ashley has a great newsletter too. I always read your newsletter, Ashley, by the Thank way. You. Um, and I bring up scientific studies or, you know, I, I try to make it very palatable or interesting things that I'm thinking about or interesting information or case studies or things that would really help you guys or what I'm reading, things of that nature. And, um, I have a free lion protocol on my website and actually I have a lion protocol 2.0, which actually I want to send you, uh, oh, Ashley, take, a, take a look at that and Facebook and Twitter. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Don't I have the best doctor, you guys? So lucky. All right. Okay, my friend. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you so much for this. Bye, um, everyone. I really, really hope you. <sighs> Thank you, everybody time. who listened. And yeah, go say hi to Gabrielle on Instagram and sign up for a newsletter. And let's keep crushing it. Okay. All right. Out. everybody that's it it's all she wrote for today i hope you enjoyed it thank you so much for being here and listening as always your support means so much um thank you 
of course, to my sponsor, Bubs Naturals. Those guys are the best. Go to bubsnaturals.com. Use the code MM20, Muscle Maven 20, MM20, to get their grass-fed collagen MCT powder. I use it every day, and that's partly why my skin and nails and hair and digestion are relatively, knock on wood here, on point, despite the fact that life is not normal, stress is incredibly high, and I've managed to avoid um, having any kind of digestive skin outbreak, nightmare responses to stress, I think partly because I'm taking care of myself. I'm keeping all of this stuff consistent, trying to eat as well as I can, trying to sleep and hydrate as well as I can, but doing stuff like taking care of my collagen requirements, um, I think helps. So bubsnaturals.com. Thank you guys. You're such fantastic supporters of my work. Code MM20 to get yourself some. Join me here again next Tuesday for another amazing episode. And in the meantime, if you want to reach out, talk to me on social media at The Muscle Maven. You can send me an email. You can sign up for my newsletter on my website. I'm also posting recipes from my cookbook and all kinds of fun stuff on the website. So check back there frequently. And that's it. Say hi. Um, send me some suggestions if you want. I'm always here. I'm always willing to engage and talk and chat and learn with you. Um, so do that. And I'll see you here next Tuesday. Thanks for listening, everybody. 